Politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back to the Conservative Review podcast here at Conservative Review's Northern Command, powered by Blaze Media on this wonderful Friday, August the 2nd. We love our Fridays here because it has been a hard work, hardworking week for all of us. Gosh, we have about 15 different articles up at Conservative Review. Check us out. You could take a look at Nate Madden's articles as well. Um, everything from courts to immigration to budget to healthcare to the capitulations, everything that you want to know about, we got there. Subscribe to our YouTube page. Don't forget that. We haven't done YouTube for a while. Now our show is on YouTube. So those of you who are still listening on iTunes or Stitcher, you might want to check us out at YouTube and like us there. Now, we're going to get right into it. Because even though it's August recess, Congress is out, there's a lot going on. Well, there's a lot going on if you actually care about the future of our republic. If not, it's it's a very quiet Friday in the news. It really is. So Congress was like, hey, our work here is done. I mean, I hate to be crude, but it kind of reminds me of uh, a guy who just does his thing in the bathroom and is like, hey, you know, doesn't flush, doesn't wipe. I'm done. That, that That's really what they're like. We basically have one branch of government. And that is whatever district or appeals court judge the ACLU or a similar group goes to, they determine the future of our republic. Today, I'm going to go through three important cases on immigration, guns, and Medicaid. Very important issues. Force multiplying issues. One's the palladium of all individual rights. One speaks to the core economic issue of healthcare. One speaks to the core sovereignty, security, civil society issue of, of who makes up our country and our ability to protect our borders. And yet every important decision is now made by the courts. We have one branch of government. We have more power accorded to the courts today, illegally, than what our founders feared the president would have. Or some founders were scared the president would be a king. Courts aren't even kings anymore. They're playing the role of God. By our passivity as a society, the phony Republican Party, the phony conservative movement, the phony conservative legal movement has acceded to this point that not just the Supreme Court, but any lower court could veto legislation, could, ve- could upend individual rights. See, it's not just that the courts now get to decide every political issue. It's that they get to mold the contours of fundamental rights. They get to say that what's a fundamental right is not a right. What's antithetical to a right is the greatest right. What's in the Constitution is out. What's out is in. What's a state power is given to the feds. What's a federal power is given to the states. And we're told it's irreversible. Whatever they say, that's it. That needs to change. I'm here to warn you that if that doesn't change, we have no country left. Nothing nothing that we all talk about in this political sphere matters at all. Elections don't matter. Elections don't matter. And I want to go through these cases, which will give us the benefit of also understanding what's going on in the news on some of these critical issues, but tying it all back to this issue of judicial supremacy on how we are allowing courts to destroy this country, federal courts, giving them insane amounts of power, and how the only way to stop this is by delegitimizing this false notion of judicial supremacy, not by, oh, let's have a Republican president appoint better judges. It's not working. I want you guys to take a look at this article we're going to flash on the screen, which is why you guys need to watch the video, not just the audio. An article I wrote several years ago, 12 Reasons Why the Federal Judiciary is Irremediably Broken. 12 Reasons Why We're Not Going to Fix It by Simply, Oh, Just Having Republicans Appoint Different Judges. So we're definitely 
We'll link to that in, in show notes. Let me just make a, a note for that here so we don't forget. Um, before we go through this, just to kind of set the table, again, immigration encompasses the most important issues of our country. The judiciary and fighting judicial supremacy determines the outcome of every single policy issue, including sovereignty. Albert Einstein said that 95% of the problem, 95% of the solution is identifying the problem. If I could be given you know, time to solve one issue, 95% of it, I'm paraphrasing here, would be identifying the problem, 5% the solution. A lot of you guys often say, hey, Daniel, what do we do about it? And look, I do give a lot of solutions. You can't accuse me of not doing that. I have a lot of strategies, ideas. Um, I just had the one yesterday of the bill to allow private citizens, victims of sanctuary cities, of illegal aliens to sue sanctuary cities and why that's going to work. And next week, I'm going to do a show or two on even though Trump screwed us and capitulated on everything that there's just nothing to talk about now because it's quiet because they gave the Democrats everything they want. There's no debate. They all left town. There still are things he can do. When he throws the ball away first down, I'm going to call the play on second down. When he throws away on second down, I'm going to call it on third down. We're going to keep trying to do that, whether they listen or not. I want to lay down that marker as to what can and should be done. But at the same time, I really strongly believe that if more people would join us, join this group chat, group classroom, in properly identifying what the problem is, the solution will be self-evident and people will clamor for it. And I think too many of us, even a lot of my allies on the immigration fight, are like, Congress needs to fix the laws. And I'm the only one who keeps saying this. The laws aren't the problem. The problem is that we're empowering any judge to engage in civil disobedience against immigration laws. Just say, I don't like it. I know the court said for 200 years they don't have Fourth Amendment rights against deportation, but I think it's time we say they do. There's no use in passing a new law if they're going to do that, and we don't have the votes to do that anyway, nor do we have to. If you solve judicial supremacy, you solve the problem. If you don't, you don't. That is the problem. Now, before we get to the court cases, just we'll start with immigration. But I just want to set the tone. Because we're going to talk about an immigration court case, I want to talk about just the philosophy behind immigration in general. Let me get my notes out here on my trusty iPad here. I barely use it. Just started to, to learn how to use it. Today is a very interesting day, August 2nd. July 4th is obviously the day that we celebrate the adoption of the Declaration of Independence. August 2nd was at the day that most people actually signed it. Most of the founders actually signed the document. This is a special day. When we understand life, liberty, property, the social compact, governance by the consent of the governed, Consent. People could only come here with the consent of the people. Decisions are only made with the consent of the people, not unelected judges. August 2nd is also the day, very interesting day, where when um, the great Calvin Coolidge assumed power after Warren Harding passed away, untimely death. And he, in my mind, really is up there with, you know, among the greatest Americans of all time. Very smart person. I want to read to you what this man said about immigration. August 14th, 1924. And by the way, a lot of libertarians, some of my libertarian friends, they'll celebrate Coolidge on spending issues, rightfully so, but they conveniently ignore what he said on immigration too. August 14th, 1924. He said this when he accepted the Republican nomination. So he... Uh, Assume power August uh, 2nd of 1923, serving out Warren Harding's term, and then he was nominated the next year for his own term. Restricted immigration is not an offensive, but purely a defensive action. 
It is not adopted in criticism of others in the slightest degree, but solely for the purpose of protecting ourselves. We cast no aspersions on any race or creed, but we must remember and every that every object of our institutions of society and government will fail unless America be kept American. Next, he said this um, to a group of immigrants. He spoke to a group of new, you know, newly uh, arrived immigrants from the Great Wave, and he said this on October sixteenth of that year. We are all agreed whether we be American Americans of the first or of the seventh generation on the soil. This is not desirable to receive more immigrants than can reasonably be assured of bettering their condition by coming here. For the sake both of those who come here, and more especially of those already here, it has been thought wise to avoid the danger of increasing our numbers too fast. It is not a reflection on any race or creed. We might not be able to support them if their numbers were too great. In such event, the first sufferers would be the most recent immigrants unaccustomed to our life and language and industrial methods. We want to keep wages and living conditions good for everyone who is now here or who may come. As a nation, our first duty must be to those who are already our inhabitants, whether native or immigrants. So much profundity in that. I mean, a lot of legal immigrants that assimilated properly will tell you they're the most ticked off about this illegal immigration or just out of control, irresponsible amounts and origins of, of legal immigration. Um, he said this in... Uh, 1930, shortly before he died, those who do not want to partake of the American spirit ought not to settle in America. We ought to have no prejudice against an alien because he is an alien. The standard which we apply to our inhabitants is that of manhood, not place of birth. Restrictive immigration is to a large degree for economic purposes. It is applied in order that we may not have a larger annual increment of good people within our borders that we can weave into our economic fabric in such a way as to supply their needs without undue injury to ourselves. Think about that. Supply their needs, but without undue burden to ourselves. Americans come first. And then finally, he said, we have certain standards of life that we believe are best for us. We do not ask other nations to discard theirs, but we do wish to preserve ours. Standards Government and culture under our free institutions are not so much a matter of constitutions and laws as of public opinion, ways of thought, and methods of life of the people. We reflect on knowing and wanting immigrants who will be assimilated into our ways of thinking and living, believing we can best serve the world in that way. We restrict immigration because he was talking about 1924 when they passed the Reed Johnson bill. And folks, it's very interesting, by the way. That, you know, a lot of people say, oh, well, that was back 100 years ago when everyone was a racist. You know, Calvin Coolidge was a racist. No, he wasn't. And you see from his language, he actually wrote on in his signing statement on the Reed Johnson bill, the famous 1924 act that shut off most immigration. And he said, if I had a line item veto, if I could strip out this one provision that just totally banned Japanese and Asians. You know, yes, there were people back then that were kind of like that in Congress. There was... You know, I remember reading through the transcript of the congressional debates. You had, you know, this guy from South Carolina at the time that was railing against Italians. He hated Italians. You had people that were inherently discriminatory, but Coolidge wasn't one of them. He he gener generally, as everyone did at the time, it was almost unanimous. Look, we have a lot of people here. We have three decades of, of expanded immigration. Now it's time for a cool off. He, he just wouldn't have put in that one gratuitous provision, but generally said, I like it, so I'm going to sign the bill. And history proved that correct, and that wave worked. I write in my book, Stolen Sovereignty, still available at Amazon. Still, you know, It's now a couple years old, but it's as relevant today as, as when I wrote it, more relevant, that there's about eight, ten or so factors I list differentiating that wave to this wave even before you get to the illegal immigration. But the most important one is really what happened after. After the fact, we had a shutoff. So we preserved, we allowed them to assimilate, which we're not doing now.
With that philosophy in mind, here's what unelected judges are now doing. Third Circuit Court of Appeals on Wednesday issued a ruling, three to nothing, two Democrat appointees, one Republican appointee. So all this talk of, oh, we're remaking the bench, most of Trump's appointees are good, but there are notable problems, and we might talk about one if we have time today. But I will point out that because most of the prior Republican appointees and every Democrat appointee is bad, they already have an insurmountable supermajority. So let's not try to play their game and get our guys. I mean, I have no problem confirming people. I'm just saying, let's not put our eggs in that basket. Let's delegitimize the entire concept of judicial supremacism. So basically, there was this case where a state trooper stopped uh, a group of illegals in a van. He stopped them for speeding, right? They were speeding. He didn't know who was in there. He shoots his radar gun. Pennsylvania state trooper pulls them over. Okay, they're speeding. And he looks in and he sees what is very evident, eight different foreign nationals, right? And in the end, they turned out to be Guatemalan, Mexican, El Salvadoran, and at least one from Ecuador. So he was right. So, I mean, a van packed with eight kind of assortment of nationals Two of them were sleeping in the back, like decked out in the back there. So the guy had probable cause to know that they're illegal. Not that you need probable cause, which I'm going to mention in a minute. You don't need probable cause for that. And so remember, he didn't initially pull them over for being illegal, which, by the way, he does have the right to do that. He absolutely has the right to do that. But it was even better. He pulled them over for speeding. So he's like, show me your your documents. Now, there's this dangerous lie that's being promulgated in the legal profession that, how how dare you say, show me your papers? First of all, I've been asked to show my citizenship a number of times, even as an American. But aliens, legal immigrants too, have to carry identification on them. That's 8 USC 1253, the Alien Registration Act of 1940. They have to register, and failing to do so is a felony, and the yes have to carry it on their person. So, yes, and they didn't have it, and he called ICE, and they admitted they're illegal. ICE put them into deportation proceedings. The immigration judge, not that they should even be entitled to one, and that's a whole other story. Immigration judge said, you're out of here. They appealed to the BIA, which is the appellate body of the immigration court system, the Um, Board of Immigration Appeals, and they said, you're out of here, open and shut. But they get endless access to legal help, and they appeal to the Third Circuit, which oversees Pennsylvania. And yesterday, this Third Circuit, led by the opinion of Midge Rendell, that's the wife of the former Governor Ed Rendell of Pennsylvania, and she writes, these troopers violated the Fourth Amendment. They violated the Fourth Amendment. How dare you search them and ask for their documents? You violated their rights. Now, we'll get to that in a minute, but hold that thought. So you think, okay, so what? I mean, let's say even if that were true, but at the end of the day, we were right. It's not like, oh, you, you detain them a little bit and it turns out they're really Americans or they have the right to be here and you're wrong. Even that wouldn't be a violation. I mean, a cop could pull you over. I mean, that's basic police work. You know, it just temporarily, hey, everything cool. We're looking for some things. Hey, could you sh- give me your name? Um, you know, they're allowed to do that. Now, there's times when you might not have to supply them with certain information, but they're allowed to do that, to temporarily just question you. Um. But certainly, in this case, they were indeed illegal, beyond a shadow of a doubt. So even if you did violate it, but you're illegal now, so you're out of here. Instead, they say, no, you detained us longer than a normal traffic stop because of the whole immigration thing and kept us without air conditioning. 
And then she went a step further and said, and because you obtained the information, ICE got the information that they're here illegally from these troopers who, in their view, violated the Fourth Amendment. Therefore, it's subject to an exclusionary rule hearing. The exclusionary rule means that if you obtained evidence of a certain thing through an unconstitutional means, it's thrown out. Now, it's a bunch of crap. It's made up. It's not in the Constitution. Reagan actually campaigned against this in 1980. It's been expanded exponentially since then. Every year, the Supreme Court expands it illegally. This business of throwing out evidence is, is nonsense. If you're a criminal and we know you did the crime, we have the evidence, we have the evidence, you're convicted. That's it. Now, if you want to file a countersuit as a separate civil claim to sue the, the law enforcement for doing that, if you're an American, you could do that. But that doesn't undo the criminal conviction. That's made up in the court system. It's not in the Constitution. That's a different story. But they want to now apply it to deportation. Folks, do you understand that they are basically saying now that when, even though AUSC 1324, the law says, illegals cannot be here. They cannot be shielded from detection. They cannot be harbored. They cannot be transported. They cannot be induced and encouraged to remain here. You cannot attempt to do that. You cannot conspire to do that. It's all subclauses of 1324. Judges are now saying that everything you do, feds, state, law enforcement, to detect them is unlawful. You shall not be detected. 180 degrees the opposite. Flip it on its head. Folks, deportation is not a criminal conviction. It's simply you're here illegally. You're in our national property. You're out of here. There's no, oh, you're not allowed to find out if I'm illegal. You have to find out. It's in the law. It's, they're designed to ensure we do find out. It's common sense. Everyone in America knows, like, you're illegal. Like, you can't be here. And the courts have been allowed, lower courts, not even the Supreme Court, to literally keep millions of people here. This is so devastating, this opinion. It's lawless beyond belief. And then to apply the exclusionary rule that somehow, oh, you only know he's illegal from an illegal, what, what do you mean? But I know he's illegal. We have it in our system. It's not a criminal trial. It, it is unbelievable. The courts are winning for the left 50-year cultural battles overnight without firing a shot. A couple things here. There's this false notion that somehow local law enforcement can't enforce immigration law. Folks, the courts, the, the, the local law enforcement is forever enforcing federal laws dealing with citizens, certainly dealing with people that don't have the right to be here. It's unbelievable. Clarence Thomas said in Arizona v. U.S., states as sovereigns have inherent authority to conduct arrests for violations of federal law unless and until Congress removes that authority. Obviously, there's nothing in current law that removes it, and quite the contrary, it explicitly works with them. At USC 1644, no state or local government entity may be prohibited in any, or in any way restricted from sending to or receiving from the federal immigration officials information regarding the immigration status of a foreign national. 1373C, ICE shall respond to an inquiry by a federal, state, or local government agency seeking to verify or ascertain the citizenship or immigration status of any individual within the jurisdiction of the agency. This was in Pennsylvania, was within Pennsylvania um, jurisdiction. And then you're allowed to detain the guy in order to ascertain that. Turner v. Williams, 1904, the court said that Simple detention to, or temporary confinement as part of the means necessary to give effect to the exclusion or expulsion are certainly valid. No limits can be put on the, by the courts upon the power of Congress to protect by summary methods the country from the advent of aliens 
um, who are undesirable as citizens or to expel such if they have already found their ways into our land and unlawfully remain therein. 1952. Shaughnessy. The court said it would be rash and irresponsible to reinterpret our fundamental law to deny or qualify the government's power of deportation. It should not be initiated by judicial decision, which can only deprive our own government of a power of defense. Defense. Remember Coolidge's term, defense, not offense. It's a defensive move. We're not trying to convict or do anything. Just leave us alone. Get out of our land. To deprive our government of any power of defense and reprisal without obtaining for American citizens abroad any reciprocal privileges and immunities. 1893. Fung Yu Ting v. U.S. 1893, the power of Congress to exclude aliens altogether from the United States or to prescribe the terms and conditions upon which they may come to the country and to have its declared policy in that regard enforced exclusively through executive officers without judicial intervention is settled by our previous adjudications. The own case law of their own branch of government says you can't hear these cases. And we allow them to create fundamental citizen rights for American, for illegal aliens. And we just take it sitting down. The laws cannot be more emphatic. Shut up and stop saying we need to pass better laws. It's like the Teletubbies here. I mean, that's, that, that's what they're like. It's totally like the Teletubbies. I'm, I'm sick of... I'm sick of hearing this garbage. You cannot have stronger laws than the ones we already have. If we're going to empower the courts to do this and grant rights to aliens, something that the Library of Com- Congress once said that the King of England couldn't do without Parliament, granting uh, deniz- making denizens of aliens. Alexander Hamilton, the Federalist Papers, said that Making denizens of aliens is something that distinguishes a king from a president. And now we're saying a single district or circuit court judge could declare illegals, give them more rights than Americans, and say we're not allowed to have sovereignty. How do we put up with this for a single day? And until and unless we coalesce a movement and a party around dealing with this and pushing back against it, nothing matters. Could you imagine? If the Democrats said, we are going to pass a bill in Congress saying anyone who comes here, you can never get a hold of them to deport them. It would never pass. And if they would, there would be such a tsunami of a backlash against them. But yet we have single lower courts that are violating the law, and the Supreme Court never hears these cases, which is why that's a whole nother story. You can't count on the Supreme Court, nor should we need to. The laws say they must be deported multiple ways. The executive branch has a responsibility to enforce those laws from this usurpation. Courts don't have that power. They cannot grant legal status to aliens. We're going to put up here on our screen my article, 16 quotes from 200 years of case law saying this. Why doesn't the Attorney General Barr ever speak to this? Why doesn't he give a speech on this? Instead, he gives into it. Like a good old Teletubby. We have a government of, by, and for Teletubbies when they're not of, by, and for illegal aliens. So that's with that. Now, while this very same Third Circuit is creating unbelievable foundational rights for illegal aliens, they are taking away the most unassailable rights of the American citizen. This same circuit just this week, well, it's complicated. It happened a couple months ago in one similar case. And in another case, it was a district judge this week, but it's really working off of a Third Circuit ruling. And by the way, the district judge, Sheridan or something, is Judge Sheridan in New Jersey, George W. Bush appointee. So there you go. Said that the Second Amendment doesn't exist. 
Before we introduce this next case, I want to just review with you folks. What is the role of a court and what is not the role of the court? When John Marshall and really it wasn't Marshall, it was invented 20 years before that, the founder said this already, that the courts have an avenue to interpret the Constitution. They didn't mean the, only the courts, they meant even the courts, certainly the other branches, but it meant the courts in a legitimate case or controversy dealing with a legitimate fundamental right where the law or the policy of the other branches beyond a shadow of a doubt violates the unambiguous constitution, they have the right for their purposes, for their branch of government, in the case of adjudicating cases, to set, to set aside that law and interpret it, the, the constitution and grant that plaintiff relief. That's what judicial review means. They don't get to veto laws. There's no veto. <laughs> you know, Congress passes a law, the president vetoes it, that law is null and void, doesn't get off the ground. Courts don't veto. They say in Smith v. Jones, I'm going to grant relief to Smith. I believe Smith has relief. I, I agree that a plaintiff that has legitimate standing, a personalized, individualized, tangible, not BS, but real tangible grievance, harm from a governmental action that they could show violates a very clear fundamental right. They could go to a judge, not to veto a law, the law is still there, but just to say, look, I don't want to be thrown into jail. I don't want my property taken. I don't want to be fined. And I could go and say, look, I have a judge telling me I don't want to pay it. Screw you to the executive branch. That's what it means. Judges don't have the power to grant affirmative rights or redefine rights or grant pr privileges. I want a gay marriage license. I want to marry a horse and a dog, so give me a license. I want um, a visa to come into your country. That's an executive power. Courts adjudicate cases like a criminal case. You know, you want to convict someone. So I could say, you can't convict me as a felon. Don't throw me into jail or fine me, right? That's, that's the power of a court. A court can't put a positive on a negative action of an executive branch. They could advise it and write an opinion, but they don't have that power. They grant relief to a plaintiff. So granting relief is not, oh, you get a positive benefit. Clarence Thomas said this very importantly in the gay marriage case. Liberty, liberty means the right to protection from a governmental action, not the right to a government benefit. That's not a right. You could make a political argument, you think a guy or a group of people should be able to get it, but a judge doesn't really have jurisdiction to demand that if the executive branch believes they're wrong. That's not the role of a court. But yet the courts do it anyway. But yet when it comes to the one thing that fits the formula for a court to get involved in. It's individualized. It criminalizes the guy, threatens him with jail. It's the most fundamental right. The courts say, no, see no evil, hear no evil. Suddenly, then what the state executive or legislative branches did are totally kosher. New Jersey passed a law last year, went into effect a couple months ago, retroactively criminalizing the possession of any commonly held magazine from a pistol, a rifle, that has more than 10 rounds. 15 capacity or whatever it is, criminalize it. So it's more than, like in my state of Maryland, it's bad enough. You can't purchase or have it shipped, but you could own it. So get it from somewhere else, and certainly the ones you already purchased. They retroactively did this. Folks, not only does this violate the Second Amendment because it's a commonly held you know, weapon used for self-defense, it violates the most foundational powers or, or rights of an individual. Article 1, Section 10, ex post facto. You retroactively criminalize behavior 
and and the Fifth Amendment's takings clause. You're taking away property without due process. Because due process means I have to have the ability to avoid the criminal act. I bought it lawfully. You can't blame me for that. If there was ever anything that engendered judicial review to go to a court and get relief, this is the case. James Erdell, one of the greatest founders, he was one of the authors of Article 3 of the Constitution, The Power of the Courts. This man was an original Supreme Court justice appointed by George Washington. He said in Calder, Calder v. Bull in, um, in, 19, in 1798, he said that judges only have the right to say a law is unconstitutional. Again, that's not striking down a law. They don't have that power. But just for their purposes, for that case, for that plaintiff to set it aside, if it is, I don't have the exact wording in front of me here, but if it's unconstitutional beyond the shadow of a doubt. And he gave an example of ex post facto laws. That was the case of Calder v. Bull, criminalizing something retroactively. And that's what Alexander Hamilton said 11 years earlier in Federalist 78. Only something that is fundamentally repugnant to the Constitution, like a bill of attainder or ex post facto law. So think about it. When you, I mean, if you're like, man, we need the courts to strike things down, we need. This is your case. This is your time. This is your moment. What did the judge say? Screw you. Threw out every single lawsuit. Nope. Not a violation of the Second Amendment, takings clause, or ex post facto. Get lost. Government can now make you a third degree felon for possessing something you lawfully bought that sits at the nexus of the palladium of all fundamental rights for American citizens. Oh, and by the way, at the same time, um, New Jersey is a sanctuary that allows illegals to run loose and MS-13, they have terrible MS-13 problems. So you, now, now you don't have um, Second Amendment to protect yourself. We are strangers in our own land. This is a judicial Sodom and Gomorrah that even the last generation of conservatives could have never envisioned. And we still tolerate it and legitimize it and let it go on. Finally, there's the third case. Courts are starting to get into economic policy. Economic policy. Anything we want to do on welfare reform, cutting spending, no, you can't do that. See, there's no fundamental right of self-defense, but there's a right for illegal aliens to invade, and there's a right to medicate. Again, look how it's back and forth. Right? I don't want anything from you. Don't tase me, bro. I want my property. I want to be able to defend it. As Sam Adams said, fundamental rights are life, liberty, property, and the right to defend them. Okay? Negative. Locomotion. Negative action. I'm not asking you for, for anything. Just don't arrest me for, you know, keeping my fundamental rights. Nope. The courts won't protect that. But if I say, hey, I have a right to welfare. Give it to me. I'm Planned Parenthood, and I have a right to government funding. Yeah, you definitely have a right to that. So now, now courts are appropriators. They appropriate funding now. I mean, they don't have the power, and, you know, it's the executive branch's fault for doing it. So anyway, it's straight out in Obamacare. Many of you remember that one of the hallmarks of Obamacare was that it gave the HHS secretary tons of discretion, for better or for worse, all directions, to be stricter on the regulations and mandates of Medicaid, to be less strict. Whether you like it or not, that's how the law was written. Gave, gave them a lot of, um, a lot of discretion. I'm just trying to find this here in my stack because there's so much garbage going on. And basically, where is this? You have here... A bunch of states, not a bunch of them, about four or five of them, are trying to require work for some sort of Medicaid benefit. Republicans promised this, by the way. They promised this multiple times when they took over all three branches of government to finally institute work requirements for welfare. They lied. Never tried. 
Never tried. But a couple of red states tried to do this. Arkansas, Kentucky, now New Hampshire. And it was just very common sense. If you're an able-bodied adult, with certain exceptions, you have to demonstrate that you've you know, accrued 100 hours of work, schooling or job training or volunteer work in order to apply for Medicaid. Um, Section 1115 of Obamacare clearly gives um, the secretary of HHS authority to give states waivers for, you know, to experiment with these type of programs. It's, it's, it's straight up. And the determination of whether that benefits the goals of Medicaid is up to the HHS secretary. So the HHS secretary gave waivers to Kentucky, Arkansas, and New Hampshire. One judge in the D.C. federal district, federal district, James Bosberg, he's now the guardian of Medicaid. He could pass more Medicaid legislation than 535 members of Congress and the president for 50 years. He could just say, he says, no, I think Medicaid's purpose is to enroll more people. And this requiring people to get work, you know, or job training, that's going to limit the people on the rolls of Medicaid, and that's counter to the goals of Medicaid. So now, now they legislate on policy. Okay, they, there's nothing a court can't do. Nothing they can't do. So he said, no, you can't. Granted advantage, community engagement, that was the name of the program. No, you can't do it. All three states. So he did this a couple months ago. New Hampshire, he did this week, or maybe it was late, late last week. Um, Monday, trying to rem- remember when it was. Here's where we are now. Remember Clarence Thomas. In the American legal tradition, liberty has long been understood as individual freedom from government action, not as a right to a particular governmental entitlement. What's up is down, what's down is up. What's a right is read out of the Constitution. What's antithetical is in the Constitution. Americans don't have negative rights. Negative, unalienable, right? Just shield me from action. Illegal aliens have positive rights. They could sue us and remain in the country while they're suing us to not be deported when law says they have to be deported. Where's the voice for the forgotten American? And folks, all these important cases go to the D.C. court. That's the most important circuit because that deals with all the political issues, which they shouldn't deal with. But if they're going to deal with it, deal with it, it's going to go there. Do you know that the left? Now, I'm just going on Democrat Republican appointees. A lot of Republican appointees suck, but just the Rep- the Democrat to Republican ones. Democrats have an 11 to four majority on the district panel, and a seven to four majority on the appellate panel, and all of the. Dems are young. Obama appointed them. So even if Trump has two terms, it's never going to change. So this notion, oh, let's agree that courts are God, but let's just try to get better judges. Nonsense. Utter nonsense. How much longer are we going to let our republic, our fundamental rights, every word of the Constitution, bastardized, flipped on its head, upside down, inside out, back and forth, how much longer are we going to cede our legacy to judges that fundamentally lack this power? It's not just that we disagree with their opinions. They don't have this power. It's like if Nancy Pelosi and Mitch McConnell would create a legislative military and they would start being commander-in-chief and ordering troops around around the world. Everyone would, would agree, like, before we debate who's going to be the chief of staff and get confirmed by the Senate as the head of the legislative military, wait a minute, like, you don't have that power in the first place. Instead, we sit and, like, debate judicial confirmations and we don't deal with the 800-pound gorilla in the room. What is and isn't the power of a freaking court? I've dedicated my career to, to working on this because nothing matters until this is dealt with. Every issue we're going to bleed for, for 50 years, out. I, w- I once had an activist in North Carolina email me or text me, just very, a very sad text. And she pointed to a sign 
of showing how signs put out outside the polls in North Carolina, you don't have to show photo ID. You know, obviously they overwhelmingly passed the law you do. And a random Fourth Circuit judge said, no, that's unconstitutional. <laughs> and um, she said, look at all our hard work to get that passed. It's over. People don't understand this. And because the legal profession is all run by fools, they circle the wagons around this stuff. So no Democrat or, or sometimes Republican liberal judge feels pressure against issuing such rulings. They don't, they're able to defy the Supreme Court all the time. And they'll just come back and do it again. To this day, we have a border invasion because of lower courts violating Supreme Court precedent. Forget about the law and the Constitution. The courts are God, Supreme Court, right? No, doesn't matter. I want to close with one more point to emphasize why this, oh, let's just have the Federalist Society advisors to Trump appoint better judges and we're going to win the judicial supremacy game. No, no, no. Not all of these judges are good, and there's been plenty of problems with them. This is from ArkansasOnline.com. You might have heard a lot of the Teletubbies in conservative media bragging about how, oh, we confirmed a lot of judges before the August recess. Well, we never bothered to learn about who some of these people are. Now, this guy wasn't confirmed yet, but he um, had a judicial Judiciary Committee uh, hearing. This guy, uh, Lee Philip Rudofsky, He's the Solicitor General of Arkansas. ArkansasOnline.com. President Donald Trump's pick to serve on the U.S. District Court for the Eastern District of Arkansas disavowed his past adv- adv- advocacy regarding same-sex marriage, saying Wednesday that his previous legal reasoning had been flawed. Basically, this guy um, wrote a brief in favor of keeping marriage like a marriage. And, you know, like gay marriage, even if you're supportive of it, it's not in the Constitution. Marriage at all is not in the Constitution. It's left up to the states. And basically, so you would think you have a Republican majority on the committee, so the nominee would have to be very defensive about any liberal opinions, right? No, no, I I didn't mean it. I really am conservative. He apologized to Lindsey Graham for it. He's like, no, no, that's not me. Those were not when I was Solicitor General. I did not sign those as a lawyer. Those were signed in my personal capacity. And then he said, when I joined those amicus briefs, I wasn't an expert on the 14th Amendment jurisprudence. Since then, as Solicitor General, General, I've become much more familiar with that area of law. And I have to say, if I had to do it over again as a legal matter, I would not have signed on to those briefs. And then later, Senator Mazi Hirono, that satanic witch, um said, hey, I heard you just disavow that. Is that true? And he said, "Um, I was not an expert on 14th Amendment jurisprudence since the time I've become much more familiar with this area of law. And if I had to do it over again as a legal matter, I wouldn't have joined those arguments. Folks, we now have Republican appointees who say, I now know that the 14th Amendment says that there's a mandate for gay marriage, that a state cannot define marriage as a marriage. It's in the 14th Amendment, which passed in 1868 at a time when no state would have recognized gay marriage. And and indeed, even the activity itself was criminalized. Now, it's not like, you know, the senators found in his history, there was some sort of statement where he said homosexuality is a sin. Oh, God forbid, should anyone believe believe in the Bible anymore? But that has nothing to do with anything. What we're talking about here is you could be, you know, engaging in your sodomy from now till tomorrow all you want, but (laughs) you can't tell me it's in the Constitution. I mean, not everything I want to do is in the Constitution. Right? I mean... There's a lot of things I want to do. I I, I want to um, end chain migration. 
But it's, it's not in the Constitution that you can have it. You could, Congress could elect to do it. We have so many Republican judges that agree with the most foundational contortions of fundamental rights and constitutional interpretation. And, and moreover, he felt the need to even sell that to a Republican majority. So we have people that are like, courts are God. Whatever a court says, if a court says I have to cut my balls off, I'm going to do it. The other branches will not get on the playing field. The only thing they care about is appointing better judges. And then when it comes time to do that, they appoint judges who agree with the problem. Nothing will change until this issue is dealt with. We will not have a country left until and unless we get the other two branches and Republicans in the other two branches to disavow judicial supremacy and educate people that they do not have the power and actually finally execute separation of powers where the courts are not the end all. Mark my words, nothing matters until this issue is dealt with. We have tons of more news on the border immigration, fiscal news I want to get to next week. Let me know what you want to address next week. We're not going to take August off and focus on stupidity on the soap opera. We're going to keep focusing on what's important. We're going to keep diagnosing the problem. We're going to keep proposing solutions, strategies. Nothing sacred here. We don't protect any politician. We just say it like it is. It's not about any one person or not about a person anti for. It's about standing for traditional constitutional values, the rule of law, sovereignty, security, the civil society, true free markets, when properly understood, which we'll hopefully get into a little bit more next, next week, healthcare freedom, so many, so many issues to go over. Email me at dharwitz at blazemina.com. Please go to our YouTube channel at Conservative Review and like our video here. Subscribe to our channel. Send this to 20 of your friends. We cannot win until people know their rights, know their constitution, until they know it doesn't have to be this way. Courts do not have this power. They have an important role. They are the weakest of the three branches, not the strongest, but they do have an important role. That role, they abdicate, and then they assume the role of everything that belongs to the other branches of government. That must change. I will work day and night to ensure it does. Enjoy your weekend. Enjoy your family time. Until next week, same time, same place. God bless you all. This has been another episode of the Conservative Review Podcast.